Praise the Lord. The Lord is good and all the time. The Lord is good and that is his nature. Remember when one man called him good teacher and Jesus said, uh-uh, only God is good. So we thank him for his nature, for his being good to us. Can I ask us to bow our heads and ready our hearts as we come to this good God this afternoon and ask that he will open our hearts to the riches of his word, that he will speak to us in accents that we do relate to, that he will take from before us any distraction, that he will cause us to see who Jesus is really is before us and that we will leave this place with an appreciation of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And we exalt your name, exalt your name. Above all else, Lord, we exalt your name. We exalt your name. Above all else, we, we exalt your name. We exalt your name above all else. Lord, we desire that your name will be exalted as we study your word, that you will open our eyes to the riches of your word. For thy is the kingdom. All the power and glory are yours, both now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, open with me the letter to the Hebrews. And in many senses, it is a different special letters from most of the letters that are penned down for us in the New Testament. Now, many letters, of course, as we... We remember what teachers taught us in school. They said a letter should have an introduction. It should have a body. It should also have a conclusion. And I remember my teacher saying that in the introduction, you kind of make mention of the address, your address, and probably the address of the person that you are writing to. But as you open the letter to the Hebrews, the writer seems to have a sense of urgency that he does not have time to labor to tell us who he is, where he is situated, plus the address in detail of the people to whom he does write. And so it immediately goes to the gist of the matter, and that is telling us about the supremacy of God's Son, and that is Jesus Christ himself. But before we reflect on this, these 14 verses, 
I want us to have a few basics about this letter. We do not have a clear, a clear agreed on person that writes this, this letter for us. But different uh, theologians and uh, commentators have had different opinions. Many upon reading through the content of the letter, say Paul writes, some of them say it could be Apollos, and there is another suggestion that I found uh, a bit funny but far-fetched is the fact that someone proposes that it is Priscilla. Remember that lady in scripture? This man says it is possible Priscilla does write. But as you read through the letter, somewhere, somehow, the writer, even when he does not make mention of, of, of himself, he tends to use masculine kind of terms to talk about himself. And so when a suggestion of a woman is made mention of, it is something we do not agree upon. Now, um, I know we live in town and we have feminists, and there are those of us that are, are theologians and extreme at that, and would want to seize every opportunity to advance uh, different things. But this letter, as you read through, you will realize that even when she is suggested, the truth of the matter is, as a lady writes, it would be strange for her to refer to herself as he. It is very, very difficult. And so, the author is not clearly known, but they are suggestions. But also, as you read through you, we realize that the writer, the author of the letter to the Hebrews, is writing to a congregation or to an audience that is originally Jewish. These are people that lived in Judaism before they came to the knowledge of Jesus. And upon receiving Jesus, they seem to kind of have a struggle. They came from somewhere, but most of them on their way to this place where Jesus is, some of them traveled with some of their Judaistic tendencies, and they have come with them to drop them into Christianity. And so as you read, you will see that struggle that some years have relocated and some things have moved with them. And for me to bring it home would be for me to say this famous saying that many people at times say. Someone once said that if, uh, if it is possible to bring someone out of the village, well, I doubt the intent with which they said it, but this is what they say. But to get the village out of them is difficult. Am I making sense? They were here in Judaism, journeyed all the way to Christianity, but they were carrying certain things with them into this newfound faith. And so they, they, they had that struggle. One leg is here, the other is there. They are not so decided. They are kind of caught in between. And so the reason why the writer is writing with that in mind, he knows many are staggering, they are not sheltered. He's writing to tell them, you know what, I want you to let go of where you are coming from so that you get hold of the Christ that you have received. Because he knew it was possible for them to get lost into the staggering and lose the faith. 
faith that they have in Jesus Christ. So as you read, you will see he is addressing that indirectly in the things that he does write to them. So the author is unknown, and yet as we read through, we kind of see the people that he is trying to write to. Now, as he begins to write, he reveals important truths about who God is. And the first truth he reveals is that God speaks. God speaks. He is not silent. God has revealed himself. There is something called special revelation, but there is also general Revelation, as you look around things around you, you are convinced that behind the way things are, there should be a designer somewhere in heaven. But also individually, that those things God reveals to you. And so he writes and says in verse 1, that long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke, and so God speaks. And as you read the text of the Old Testament, friends, you realize that in them, prophets are standing before people to proclaim what God has told them to. As you read the Old Testament, you will find narratives. You will see stories of how God delivers the children of Israel from Egypt. As you read that the, the Bible, you will realize dramatic presentations of the message. For example, this story of... Uh, Goma and the husband, the gospel is presented in a dramatic way, and yet even through that, the Lord speaks. As you read the Bible, you realize that God is speaking a message, and yet how he speaks it is different depending on what he wants to put across. And so the writer or the author of the letter to the Hebrews is quick to tell us right at the start that the Lord will serve is not silent. He is able to speak. He is able to reveal himself. And so he tells us to our forefathers, he revealed himself through the prophets. They spoke they made mention of the visions and revelations they received and the people quote the word that came to, to them from God through the prophets. As you read what Moses does, you see that Moses meets God and God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. As the Lord comes to Elijah, you see him speaking to him in a still, small voice. For the prophet Isaiah, the Lord gave him a vision. Remember how he begins his call? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord as he is there. The Lord gives him a vision. That was God speaking to him. For Hosea, the Lord spoke to him through a family crisis. The Lord asked him to marry a prostitute, Goma, and in that crisis in his marriage, the Lord was able to speak and say, you know what, this is the state of my relationship with Israel. Friends, the truth of the matter is that the Lord speaks. And what I found is interesting is that for the prophet Amos, the Lord spoke to him through a basket of fruit. God chose to speak to different people 
the different ways that he did because he had a particular message that he wanted to put across. And so even as we begin the book of Hebrews this month, God is calling us to appreciate the fact that he does speak to us irrespective of the instrument he chooses to use. The truth of the matter is he speaks to us through that chosen instrument. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage you as you engage scripture, the Bible tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is inspired. It is the inspired word of God. An understanding of that should cause us to think differently about it. Hold it in high esteem and not simply stop at that to be those that go ahead and follow after what this word is telling us. So God spoke long ago in many times, not once, not twice, but in many, at many times and in many ways through his prophets. Now that was then. Now the, the, the writer is, is now able to make a connection. There is a past, there is a now. And so he says in verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There was a time when God spoke through the prophets to us. But now, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it amazing that scripture refers to Jesus as the word of God? Remember, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is the word of God. And God is speaking to us through his word, through Jesus Christ, his son, and he tells us that Jesus is not only the son of God, he has a defined status in the kingdom of God. He is appointed the heir of all things, but also he reminds us that through Jesus Christ, the world was created. No wonder John tells us that nothing exists that wasn't created through him. So Jesus is heir of all things, but through him, the world was created. And then he goes ahead in verses 2b to the end of verse 3, giving us a sneak peek into who Jesus really, really is and what constitutes Jesus. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high hallelujah so as one who is taking as, as one who is there of all things it, be, it, be, it means everything belongs to him but also he is creator. But number three, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Now this means if you want to have a picture of who God is, simply look at Jesus. 
Because Jesus is a reflection of who God is. He is a reflection of who God is. He says he is the, he is the exact imprint of his nature. But also we are told that he holds the universe by the power of his hand. What a mighty God he is. Imagine the universe and everything in it in the power of the hand of Jesus Christ. This means he is the sustainer. He keeps everything together. But also the writer tells us that this man Jesus has made purification for our sins. In other words, he is our redeemer. He went to that cross and bore the wrath that was meant to be ours. He is the propitiation of our sins. In other words, he appeased the wrath that was meant to be ours at Calvary. And so he is that perfect sacrifice on whom God looked and it pleased him to have our sins pardoned. Hallelujah. So this Jesus, the Son of God, is supreme. He tells us, you know what, after he, he went to Calvary to die for us, he took on a posture of, of sitting. He is seated at the right hand of God. Now he is not simply seated there taking a cup of coffee, looking down on us from heaven. Someone there was a time I was in Makere and one young man that time was stressed about tuition. His mother was sick and they had a month to exams. And so he came to office and said, but you know what? I think God is somewhere up in heaven looking down on us and is not bothered. And I said, why? And he began to tell me the things he was going through. But friends, Jesus is concerned about our lives. He is not simply seated there forgetting about us. This morning I was sharing with people and I was telling them that Jesus accomplished the redeeming work at the cross, but he did not stop there. Even after redemption, we read in scripture that even as he returns back to his father, he has you and me in mind. And why am I convinced about this? Because the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for me. He is my advocate daily. He pleads my case before God. Hallelujah. He did it then. He continually does it for me. He is seated at the right hand of God and that means he is ruling. He has taken on a place of ruling and reigning. And because of who this Jesus is and what he has done, we read that he is superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, the writer to the Hebrews knows that the people I am addressing are coming from a Jewish background. And in the Jewish background, there was this worship of angels. The Jews believed so much so that because angels are an, a, angelic beings, they are closer to God. For, for example, if, if, if you know someone that works close to the president, you are sure that you are friends to them. It might be easier to, for you to somehow access the president, not so. 
Friends, are we together? I mean, state house is just here. But you get what I am trying to say. They believed that because these are angelic beings, they treasured how they got the law. For, them, for some of them, it was not uh, a God giving them to Moses and, and, and Moses writing, the Lord writing them by his finger. For some of them, it was an angel that delivered the law. And so these are beings close to God. And so they paid reverence to them to the extent that some of them actually did worship angels, which is idolatry itself. And so because he knows that these people have a tendency of worshiping angels, he is telling them, wait a minute, the Jesus that I am talking about is superior to the angels. No wonder God has given him a name that is above other names, a name that he has inherited, a name that is excellent. And so if you're looking for nearness or proximity to God, be moved to find his son and not an angel. And you're going to see that in the verses that follow, he is laboring to tell us the superiority of Jesus in comparison to these angels. Is, is, isn't that what we have read? Towards the end, he says, by the way, and we will come to that, he says angels are simply ministering spirits sent about to come and bring service to you as a child of God. And so change your focus from them unto Jesus because he is the ultimate authority. It is him that is supreme. Hallelujah. And so he says, the angels are inferior to God. In fact, as I read verse 4, I kind of made and I kind of did some, some imagery in my heart, in my mind. There is that fine art paper we did in school. I was too bad at it that I don't remember the name. But in it, I remember my teacher would say, oh, imaginative composition, hallelujah. Did you study that? And the teacher said, just imagine something and put it to paper. For many of us, the best we would do. <laughs> God have mercy. But as, as I read the angels, Jesus being superior and Jesus sitting, I pictured Jesus sitting in a chair on his throne and the angels are standing before him worshiping. And this is what happens in Revelation. We read that the angels are, by the way, they are not resting. Why? Because they are ministering spirits. We read in Revelation that they are ever holy, holy and worshiping Jesus. And so they are superior. If Jesus is taking on a posture of sitting, then the angels are worshiping him. Now, as we come to verse 5, all the way to verse 14, the author, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews he is, is going to labor to show us the superiority of Jesus in comparison to these angels that some of these Christians were falling into the temptation of going back to worship. And I want to invite you to journey with me this journey all the way from verse 5 to 14. And as you look through your Bible, as we get to find out in what ways is Jesus superior to the angels. 
And verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. He is asking them, you are sold out into worshipping these beings because you think they are close to God. But to, whom, to, to, to which of them did God ever say, you are my son? And in asking them that question, he is quoting for them Psalm 2 and verse 7. These are the exact words in Psalm 2 verse 7 where God tells Jesus, You are my son, today I have begotten you. I will be to you a father and you shall be to me my son. So number one, Jesus is superior to the angels because he is the son of God. The angels are not. And so because of that, he is calling them on to holding on to this Jesus and not falling into the temptation of wanting to fall back. Hallelujah. Jesus, the ultimate authority, superior in every sense of the word because he is the son of God. And as I, I, I reflect on this, there is also something that, that, that we used to study, could be physics, forgive my memory, but there was a time where the teacher would say that that place where, the, 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 is it the solar eclipse something? My scientists remind me, you are equally terrible like me. <laughs> but, but that time where the sun kind of, is it the sun going in front of the moon or the moon or vice versa? Yes, we will ask Google those things. In fact, we do not need to know that for us to go to heaven. But what? <laughs> yes. This man is, 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 he says eclipse, something like that. And he's telling them, you know what? Instead of focusing on Jesus, you are changing your mind and focusing on angels. That is not taking you anywhere. Jesus should be the one that, 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 that is in charge of your life and not the angels because they do not have that defined place. But in verses 6 to 7, he continues to say, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. But of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Hallelujah. Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. The angels are called to worship the firstborn of all creation. And so you see that in every sense, he is superior. They are, com they are commanded to worship him. So secondly, Jesus one superior because he is the son of God, but secondly, superior because he is the object of angelic worship. The angels are called to worship him. But verse, verse 7 towards the end is a quotation of Psalm 104, verse 4. That Psalm also calls the angels, his ministers, and his, um, he begs his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So you see that as he labors to explain 
He is quoting the Old Testament so they know these are not simply his words. They are already with them in the text of scripture. Jesus is superior. He is Lord because the angels themselves worship him. And as we read verses 8 all the way to 12, he continues to make the same comparison. He says in 8, but to the son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of a preciousness, of a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. In these, these verses, we are told that Jesus has a throne. Because God the Father, his God, has exalted him, he has anointed him with the oil of gladness. An exact quotation of Psalm 45 verses 6 to 7. And so Jesus again is superior as the Son of God, as the object of, of worship for the angels, but also as one that has a throne. And this throne is forever and ever. It is not just for now or then or tomorrow. It is forever and ever. And so he is superior because he reigns. The angels do not reign. Jesus is enthroned. Jesus reigns. Now, the aspect of Jesus reigning, friends, calls us to be those that submit to his lordship, that recognize his reign, and be those that walk in his leading, in obedience to what he wants us to be. His reigning is, 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 is supposed to reign in our hearts. And how we know that? By obedience to his word, by how we fashion our lives in accordance to his word. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, speaks to God the Son, and it is um, for us in verse 9, be there for God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Hallelujah. But as we come to verse 10, we are told of the superiority of Jesus with regard to his work of creation. It says in verse 10, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hand. The heavens are the work of the Lord, not the work of the angels. And so he tells them there is this temptation to fall back, but beware that this that you want to let go and run back to the other is more important because Jesus is the creator. He is the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and he calls them to that aspect of general revelation. He is calling them to look out to the heavens. He is calling them to look out and see the work of the Lord. Look at the oceans. Look at, at all the things that there is for them to be actually convinced that there is a designer up in heaven, and that is God, the one who called 
all these things into being. But he also makes mention of something interesting. He says, yes, he is creator, so he is superior. He made all these things. The heavens are the work of his hand. But he says, you know what? Even when he makes this work by his hand, verse 11, they will perish, but he shall remain. So he says, they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Superior in a sense that he is eternal. He has no end. We are finite. Man is like grass, like flower. Today we are here, tomorrow we are gone. Just yesterday around 3 p.m., my sister called me that my mother was unwell. She is aging, and the truth of the matter is these bodies are deceptive. Today you have the energy, tomorrow it is gone, because you know what, you grow up, you die, and the cycle continues. But God is eternal. It is possible for the work of his creation to come to an end, but he will remain. And verse 11 tells us of the power of this God. We are told that the work of creation of his hand is like a garment. You know when you want to, to, to iron your dress, you can quickly pull it out of that laundry basket. But if, if it is not the, the option you want, you can easily fold it up and throw it away. Not so. And that is how the writer relates to the work of God's creation. For some of us, it is huge. The seas, the, head, the, the, the heavens, the, the, the nations. But the writer says, you know what? Even when it is such an immense work, God has power to simply roll it up. Can you imagine? God saying, you know what? Today is the end of it all. And he simply rolls this immense thing and throws it up. He says in 12, like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Hallelujah. Still emphasizing the superiority of Jesus Christ in comparison to the angels that these people were battling and striving to worship. Because they thought they were closer to God and so they would be in a way closer to God if they worshipped them. He continues to ask them in verse 13, And to which of the angels uh, has he, referring to God, ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? He is asking, to whom of the angels, to which of them has God ever said these words? An exact quotation of Psalm 110 verse 1. It is only Jesus that the Lord was able to speak these words. Again, pointing to us that Jesus is the real deal. He is the one that is superior. Hallelujah. 
Superior because he is the son of God. Superior because he is the object of worship for the angels. Superior because he is enthroned, he is reigning. Superior because he is creator. Superior because... Of, 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 because he's creator number, number four, but also superior because he is self-sustaining. His days are not numbered. His years have no end. But also superior because he's powerful. Able to simply roll the world and everything in it like a garment and causing it to have an end. Superior because he owns everything. He never changes. And in verse 14, he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? He is indirectly making a point by way of a question. He is telling us these angels that you desire to serve and worship are simply there to minister, to serve. No wonder as Jesus sits enthroned, they are singing that, that, that chorus we normally sing at communion. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. Remember the 24 elders bowing down. They are simply worshiping God. They are ministers. And can I interest us in the fact that we also do have angels that are ready to serve us, apportioned to be our ministering spirits towards us. They are sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit salvation. Now, in everything that the writer is saying, he is simply making one point. Jesus is superior. Jesus is the real deal. It is possible for you to want to get closer to God but the right way for you to do it is to go through his son. No wonder Jesus told his disciples that you cannot go to the Father except through me. And so for those of us here that want and desire to be closer to God, will you be serious and work at your relationship with God? Because with Jesus, because by working at that, you are drawing closer and closer to God. Hallelujah. Can I invite us to, to simply bow down our heads and reflect on our lives and the posture, the position, the place of Jesus in our lives. Is he reigning in our lives? You know what? This passage started by telling us that God speaks. And he told us of how he did speak in the past and of how he speaks to us now. But there is this conviction in my heart. Many times as the Lord speaks, for some of us there is a lot of noise around us that we do not seem to hear that still small voice of the Lord coming through for us. My brother, my sister, as the Lord is speaking, are you able to recognize that the Lord is speaking to you or you are lost in the midst of the noise that is happening around you? The Lord spoke to Moses through a burning bush 
And Moses was able to tell that this is the Lord speaking to me. For some of us, it speaks and yet the noise around us makes it impossible for us to hear him. But also for some of us, we know he speaks, yes, but we have kind of caged him into a small box. Some of us are only convinced that he can speak to us in only one particular way. We have said if it is God speaking, it must be through a burning bush. And so the times you are spoken through a crisis, you have cast out and rebuked the devil and you have not even paused to imagine, could it be God trying to say something to me? For some of us, we have limited him to only respond to us in particular ways. And God is telling us this afternoon that I am supreme, I am sovereign, I am the ultimate authority. I can choose to speak to you in any way I want, at any time I desire. For some of us, especially us that are so given to intercessory ministry, if it is not a vision, then the Lord has not spoken. The Lord speaks, and yet noise around us causes us not to hear what he's saying. But also he speaks, but because we have kind of caged him into a small box, and limited his ability to speak to us, many of us have lost that particular message he wants to put across to us. Because we are not open to the possibilities so vast that he could use to speak to us. Now the Jews in this passage, friends, had a challenge. Many of them genuinely desired to be closer to God. The intent was genuine. And as I read through this, uh, this letter, I would see them probably singing that hymn, I want to walk with Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. And yet that means they chose to be closer to God unfortunately caused many of them to fall and stumble and run back to Judaism, the past from which God had delivered them. For many of us in our genuine pursuit to be closer to God, we have been praying at the feet of many men and women of God because they come to us and speak revelation. And we are thinking, oh my God, he is closer to God. She is closer to God. And so if I can be close to them and probably worship them, maybe then I could equally be closer to God. Three categories of each of us that stand out for this, from this passage. For me, my brothers and sisters, the fact that God speaks... But unfortunately, at times, the noise around us does not permit us to hear his voice. But also many of us have caged him 
and only expect him to come through for us in a particular way. But also many of us being victim and yet we have a genuine hunger and thirst for him, for being closer to him. We have unfortunately used ways that we think are correct to get to him and yet we have found ourselves dead and sold out to idolatry falling and kissing shoes of men and women of God so that we can also be closer to God himself. My brothers and sister God, sisters, God is telling us this evening that Jesus is the one through whom we can get closer to God. And so if there is a thirst and desire in your heart for you to grow and know more of who God is. The passage has called us to look at Jesus because it has told us that he is the exact imprint of God, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, not the servants that serve him, but Jesus himself. And so if you want to gaze at the glory of God, the call this evening is for you to look at Jesus, the exact radiance of the glory of who God is. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage so tiny and yet very rich, teaching us of who Jesus is, teaching us of his exalted bless, teaching us that if we desire to walk with you, we ought to be closer with him. We want to come to you in repentance for the times that we have let the noise around us be so loud that as he spoke to us, we were not able to realize that he's actually speaking to us. And so this evening we surrender to you and pray that you will take from before us every distraction, every noise that is blocking his voice from coming out clearly to us. But also we repent, Lord, for caging him in one box. We repent for limiting him in as far as the ways of his rescue for us are concerned. And we are open to the many possibilities that he can choose to use to come and save us because he is God anyway. He can choose to save us any way he wants. He can choose to speak to us in any way he desires. Lord, he chose to speak through that donkey and his word came forth. Will you open our hearts and minds to the many possibilities, many ways that he can choose to communicate to us? But also forgive us, Lord, because even when at times we've had genuine desire to know you and walk with you, many times we have done it in a way that does not glorify you. But thank you for opening our eyes to the understanding that Jesus is not one of the ways, but he is the only way. He is the only way for us to get to you. Because he is your exact imprint. Because he is the radiance of your glory. Will you be exalted in our lives this evening? 
for thy is the kingdom all the power and glory are yours both now and forevermore amen in jesus name we pray may god bless you